Hello, my name is Brian Martin and you are listening to Season 4, Episode 6 of the Running Technique Tips Podcast, an episode that has been a long time coming, <laughs> Lisa. We have not been on good form during some uh, December. Uh, life no. has definitely gone, gotten in the way, but here we are on New Year's Eve, uh, about to jump into the next decade. And yeah, so this is going to be a, a, probably a bit of a strange episode. Mm, a lot has been going on, hasn't it? And the weeks have just sort of flown past and yeah just just really too much but um look we made it we made it in time for the end of the end of the year and you know what I'm like I love a good reflection and then goal planning so what better time to get an hour of your time at the end of the year force you into yeah. something that you don't like doing planning <laughs> planning <laughs> I think I'm better at reflecting than planning. Oh, good. Oh, well, well, we can start off with some reflection. We can have a bit of a talk about, you know, how was 2019 on a on a running front for us both? Because it, I know for me personally, it's it's been sort of ups and downs and a whole bunch of in the middle. It's yep. been a bit of a weird one, actually. It has. It's. I think running in 2019 has been a bit of a microcosm of life in general, Lisa. There has been some ups. There has been some downs. <laughs> There's been lots of periods where, you know, stuff that wasn't particularly exciting was going on, but it was just necessary and had to happen. Um, but, yeah, here we are. And, look, I should say before we move on, um, even though it's too late, Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh, yes, uh, exactly. And a, a special hello to... Those of those of you out there who are like me, who really don't enjoy the Christmas period all that much, Ooh, the, the Grinches of <laughs> for the various world. reasons. Yeah, the Grinches. There, I know you're out there. It's I know it's not just me. I've I've met quite a few other people who, uh, for various reasons, don't get super excited about the Christmas period. But uh, yeah, hopefully you all survived it. I did, and uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting about 2019 reflections and 2020. Don't know if it's going to be a plan, but. 2020-something. So are you going to kick us off, Lisa, am, with your... I am. I'm going to kick us off. So 2019, well, I, do you know what? When I have reflected on this, it was really a year in three distinct parts. So the first okay. part of the year, I was somewhat unmotivated coming off the back of doing the New York Marathon and then decided to just sort of throw myself into some track races. And I guess that marathon fitness that I had had, I ended up running an equal 5K PB, which came out of nowhere and really took me by surprise and then went on to run the fastest road 10K I've run since, oh, it was well over a decade. It was probably more like 15 years. <laughs> and so there was quite a, a good start to the year. And then the middle half of the year was all about that calf tear that I it was completely self-imposed, didn't respect it, didn't look after it, kept coming back too soon, too fast. Um, this was the year of the old lady exactly, calf. Exactly. It was year of the old lady calf in denial that I was in the stage of my life of being susceptible <laughs> to old lady calf. And when I looked back, it was 12 weeks that I had out from running. Uh, there was sort of a week and a half in the middle of that where I went from zero to hero and, and really hurt it quite badly again. So it's quite a long time, three months really. So mm. that defined the middle half of the year where I did a whole heap of cross-training and, you know, went a bit over the top from that. And then the last half of the year I really just 
I fell into the hole. So of, of having too much else on and running really just became, um, it just really wasn't a focus. So started the year with PBs, middle of the year, old lady calf, last end of the year in a hole. So <laughs> in a hole. Does it? Does the inner hole include the Brian and Lisa coaching experiment, or is that no, no, no? So I think that that definitely had me um, climbing out of that hole. That was one of the things that really helped utilizing your unplanned attack of of approaching training. <laughs> and I guess I've finished off the year the last two weeks, and I've actually pulled together. Um, some consistency over the last two weeks. So I'd like to think that I'm finishing off the year in the way that I sort of started it, finding some momentum. Mm. So from those three phases of the year, like what what did you take away as learnings or things that you're either not going to do or going to do more of in 2020? Well, I 2020 is going to be another hectic year on a sort of a personal level, you know, trying to finish the study and the houses and basically start our exit out of Sydney to a a full-time lifestyle in Byron. So for me, running is going to be you know, it's going to be probably be like 10th on the, on the list of things that I'm going to be able to get done. So I'm taking this tail end of the year mindset of just get done what you can, when you can, and really just that there's no set plan. So I thought you might be happy to that to hear that 2020 is a year of no plan for running. Excellent. That's and good. one thing, um, it is a good question actually that you just asked that I took away. So from the start of the year when I just threw myself into the track racing and I actually got quite fit just by having the races. They were my sessions. And so knowing that this year is going to be quite challenging, I am I would like to stay connected by just entering races or, or being involved like with the club atmosphere. And I think I spoke to you that I even try and come down to Melbourne and run a few of the XR, mm. what, what do you call it down there? XCR series. XCR um, series, yeah, and, and right. really have no expectations, no time goals, um, and really just be a part of it and race. I, I think that's probably the way that I'm going to be able to, you know, have some good races and and some are going to be pretty terrible, but without that burden of expectation, knowing all of the other things that we're trying to wrap up in the year. That sounds good. I like it. Yeah, so I don't have a goal for, you know, obviously I'm doing the marathon, but um, after that I don't really have a focus on a, an event or a, a race or a time. I just want to be a little bit organic and unplanned and just turn up and do what I can when I can. Sounds good. And so you've been a bit probably maybe it, maybe it was since I started coaching you. I think you've been slightly less obsessive compulsive with some of your training, I think, which, which is a good thing. Um, my unplanned relaxed um, approach rubbing off on you so well do you know what's been quite good too you know I'm not counting the k's you know even when I do sessions I've said this in a a couple of times when we've had our coaching calls you know I'll do 14.2 k's or Mm -hmm. 6.6 like just these arbitrary numbers that don't really mean anything but I sent you a a text last night of a, a a tweet that I saw and I can't remember who posted it out, but it was basically, you know, counting mileage is is pointless unless there's, you know, some rationale behind what that mileage actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's something I've really been taking into account, especially in this marathon phase. Like I got pretty obsessed last time with going and eat to get yep. 70Ks and then 80Ks and then 85Ks. And all that did was get me injured. So... <laughs> Change, yeah. Training to time is is good. I was thinking about that actually this morning when I was out on my session because I was doing three minute efforts, mm. and you just end up with these like because I wasn't looking at pace, I was just looking at my heart rate. Um, you end up with these like random distances that you wouldn't otherwise do workouts over. So yeah. I think my three minutes were yielding like seven hundred meters or yeah. something like that, yeah. which is yeah not not a distance that you would ever go to the track and go, oh, I'm going to do some seven hundreds tonight. So yes, <laughs> or you know five hundred and sixty five meters. Like you yeah, go exactly. and do that. But one thing that's been nice about doing that, those time efforts as well is you can. I've been doing them anywhere, and you know every effort is on a different section of ground so i'm not yep. starting and finishing in the exact same point so then that's just another mm. stressor that adds onto it thinking oh well you know well last time i ran from point to point in two minutes yes it's you know one minute you might be running up a hill and exits down you're turning corners so that's been really nice because it's taken away the whole needing to hit you know arbitrary distance yes. um, measures it does stop you, yeah, comparing what you're doing before. And look, I've, I've been doing pretty much all of my uh, well, up to about threshold pace training in Ballarat and I just do it at the same end-to-end -end loop. And I don't even know how far this loop is, but because I'm always mixing up the duration of the intervals and starting at different points, like I have no idea how far each of the efforts will, will yield and where I should be ending up. So I really have no awareness of being able to compare one session to another, which is a really nice place to be, actually. Yeah, I think when you, you've got too many other things and what's been nice having these couple of weeks off, um, we just haven't had a planned lifestyle, which is so nice because we're so regimented, you know, up at this time, out mm. the door at this time. Um, it's been really nice to just sort of come and go as we please. But I must admit, you know, it's, it's track season here in Australia and I've been going down really just to say hello to everyone in um in the club and they're all doing their track sessions and I'm I'm starting to get a bit of a oh I'm I'm feeling like I want to do some track stuff at some point. So um I think that may be in the horizon as well. Right. Feeling the need for speed. I think so. I was getting probably not saying this, I was getting a bit jealous watching them, you know, basically heaving for air at the end of like a two hundred or a three hundred thinking it's been a few years since I've um put myself in that position um so yeah i think that might be in the horizon too we might uh return back right. to that kind of i don't know i don't want to say 1500 but um you know maybe three to five k again but give it a real red hot crack Mm, that sounds interesting mm. and so sounds like the garbage is being collected. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it is. They're uh, taking it in and out. But um, anyway, so that's my recap. So PB's car, old lady calf in a hole 2019 mm. as a wrap. What about mm. Brian? Where did 2019 lead you? Uh, 2019 has been a very strange year, I have to say, <laughs> on quite a number of levels. So, um yeah, I obviously started out the year as a man of leisure and ended the year commuting more or less five days a week to a, a full-time job in Melbourne from Ballarat, which obviously was a significant change-up to the lifestyle I had been been leading. So that um, extra commuting um, certainly placed a lot of limitation on 
the amount of training that I could get done and I had to make some adjustments about um, when I was dragging my sorry ass out of bed in the morning. So it has resulted in um, probably getting up a little bit earlier um, than what I was previously and, yeah, being a lot more um, flexible and accepting the fact that I was going to be able to not do quite so many kilometres um, as I might have expected to do or wanted to do. But on the upside, although that has been a bit of a challenge, it's those that forcing me to, to really be very flexible with my training and to accept lower mileage really kind of forced me down the road of um, the style of training that I have been doing particularly in the second half of the year and and that's really the sort of style of training that that you're doing now as well where it's all about trying to pick the right time to do a session where you're not exhausted you've got enough time to get it done without being too stressed about having to get on a train or for you go and pick up kids or whatever it is Mm. Um, trying to pick the optimal time during the week to get a, a session done and in some cases you know that's that run or that session was was the only run that happened for the entire week for me because there, there was a number of weeks where I only ran three days a week so I was sort of running both days on the weekend and then maybe getting one run in during the week and I think probably the, the most runs I did was four in any probably in any week this year so yeah it has been a has been a year that's forced me to make some changes but I've actually enjoyed those changes um, because it sort of yeah freed me up from the regiment of trying to improve or increase sessions I've probably got a lot better at accepting when I had to be on a plateau or in fact go backwards because you know a couple of times I got sick during the year as well so had to basically accept the fact that I could not pick up the training from where I was before and maybe if I was doing bigger volume for a longer period of time I might have been able to do that more easily but I could just really feel the drop off in in fitness so that necessitated a few times going backwards to come forwards again and I've been through a bit of a period like that in the lead up to and after Christmas as well so I probably feel at the moment like got got a bit sick and then life got in the way and lots of stuff going on over Christmas meant that the training yeah, had a week off and then the training went backwards for a couple of weeks. Um, but now that's sort of building back up probably almost to the level that I was at um, before I did that uh, run for a course half marathon, um, mm. which was back in November now. I was going to say, your year was a bit similar. Like the start of the year mm. when we were doing our 3K, 5K challenge, you actually you ended up going sub 20, I think, didn't you, in the end of the 5K? I did. Yeah, yeah, off, you know, not a lot. We, we kind of found some legs and then it all really fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for a little while at least. But, yeah, that was probably one of the uh, highlights for the year was to go under 20 minutes again because I hadn't been there for a number of years. And I feel like if you were going to um, pin me down onto a – and I'm getting a little bit off track on my reflection here, but since you brought it up <laughs> – uh, if I was going to set a goal for 2020, I think it would be to go sub-19 for 5K. And uh, I, th- I think that would be an achievable goal and something that I could sort of commit to without having to do ludicrous amounts of mileage and just more tinker with the um, the composition of my training to mm. to try and get that sub-19 5K at a park run somewhere. I'm yeah. not sure if I'll go on the track to do it. I'm not quite in the in the mental headspace for track running at the moment, I don't think. Mm. But yeah, a sub, a gone sub twenty. So I think 
sub 19 in 2020 would be a, a good goal for me. Mm. So what else? I suppose 2019 saw the end of my film aftone experiment as well. So, <laughs> um, and that, and and not that I've discarded everything I've learned out of that because I guess learning how to run slow. Um, quite comfortably at an aerobic heart rate. It's actually been really helpful for me this year in terms of setting up those longer runs that I've been doing. So whilst I haven't stuck under my aerobic heart rate for the entirety of those two-hour runs that I've done a number of times during the year, um, just being in that mindset of just being able to run comfortably and easily and even if that meant running six-minute K pace or a little bit slower meant that I could I could do the first hour or so of those runs quite comfortably and then kind of work them down towards the end or, or just kind of maintain effort going over hills in the forest, which I did a number of times as well. So, so yeah, it took a lot out of that um, learning how to run slow without getting injured and I, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place with that at the moment because probably in the past I've sort of felt like I really move that well unless, um, unless I was running a bit quicker mm. and I, I've found like a way to run that allows me to, to, to do those longer, slower runs and also like a, a nice jogging pace that I can use for in-between reps uh, while I'm doing my sessions or for warm-ups and warm-downs and that kind of thing. So it, it's probably given me another gear that I didn't have before, a slower, ge- a slower much-needed gear, I think. Lisa. Hey, can I tell you what 2019 wasn't for you? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the year of the marathon. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I dodged the marathon, <laughs> which I, I'm not sorry about. I, th- I definitely think the marathon is an event that if you are not prepared for it, you you just don't want to go there. Um, That's not a good thing to, to say to me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like even though, you know, we've had the chat about you recalibrating your goal, so I think once you've recalibrated your goal, you'll you'll still be prepared enough to be able to, kind of run out a decent marathon you'll just have to be you just have to be captain sensible over the first stages um, yeah well i so think that the distance the, sorry the difference between you and i is i'm not afraid of the distance whereas it scares you <laughs> yeah I, I just kind of i don't know if it does scare me exactly like i feel like if i can get the the preparation right um and be in the right headspace for it and look in 2018 which was uh, the one that went horribly wrong where i ended up I was targeting three hours 20 and ended up running four hours 12. Like I'd done a lot of long, slow running um, and hadn't sort of introduced any of this sort of sub-threshold stuff that I've been doing this year. But, the yeah, the big whammy that time was just kind of like stress. I just wasn't mm-hmm. in a good place. And that, yeah, just compounded as the, the race um, arrived. So, yeah, marathon's not an event for being underprepared or if you're mentally um, not with it as well. So, yeah, I was happy enough to avoid that this year with everything that um, I've been taking on in terms of additional challenges with work, commuting and study um, like you. So, yeah, I think I, I don't know if I'll be committing to a marathon in 2020. Let, let's put it that way. <laughs> so what about the whole Spartan goal? Is it, I know you've done two, yep. just not in a row now. You're just readjusting that goal. Readjusting that goal. If I get there, I get there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to force it. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've certainly seen some Spartans running that uh, we're not t- looking too good or too healthy, and I don't want to look like them. So um, if I'm, if I'm going to be running marathons, I may as well be running them and feeling like uh, feeling like they're comfortable at least. Mm. Don't have to be super fast, but at least 
feel like you can run them out and uh, feel comfortable towards the end. So it, I guess in a sentence, 2019 was... A mixed bag. <laughs> but having said that, I actually had I'd just call out a couple of highlights. Like I had a pretty awful run at the Canberra Half Marathon earlier in the year yeah. um, where I, I think that might have been about an hour 40. But then once I kind of got a little bit of training under underway, I had a fairly decent run at um, a couple of the XCR races that I managed to do. So the, uh, the one at the St. Anne's Winery, the 8K XC there, ran okay on that race mm-hmm. of limited preparation and then had a really good run in the Lake Wendery 15K road race as well where I think I was about 63 and a half or something like that minutes, yeah. um, which again, not, off, not a huge amount of training, was a pretty good run. And, yeah, I finished off the year, I guess, on a high with um, running, what did I end up with, 133 or 134 for the half marathon at the run for the cause in, in November. So I think I probably, if I didn't, I probably didn't overachieve, but I think I ran pretty well for my ability level based on the, the small amount of training that I was able to do. So I was pretty satisfied with the year running-wise mm. um, from that perspective. Oh, good. So 2020 is sub-19 minutes. That's what the goal is? Yeah, I think sub-19, 5K. Mm. And look, although I've just said marathon's not really on the agenda, if I can keep some sort of consistency in the training and build up some of these sessions that we've been doing then maybe I would run the Canberra Marathon. But, um, yeah, we'll sort of have to see how the, the first part of the year goes. Um, unfortunately, the the year is a bit front-loaded in terms of study commitments. So, like, up until April, I'll probably, yeah, from January um, through to April, I'll probably have done three subjects in that time. And, yeah, that's a fair commitment on top of um, full-time work. So, we'll have to sort of see how that plays out. Mm. Um, first half of the year is going to be pretty big study-wise. Back half of the year will probably be less so, which is good. So if I can if I can get through to about July <laughs> and still be still be upright, Lisa, uh, yeah, the back half of the year might yield a bit more in terms of um, in terms of running goals. Yeah, and I think um, exactly what you said there is the reason for me just with no plans because despite all of your advice to uh, just do one subject at uni, I um, dismissed all of it and ignored you and <laughs> am doing two per uh, two per semester. So uh, that's going to be rough. That is I already, really yeah, look, I already know that it's going to be rough and in my head I'm just, I'm not sure how I'm going to fit it all in. I, I did send a, a text to you on that and we were coming up with some ideas on how to try and fit it all in. But, you know, I guess realistically my bigger goal is 2021 and beyond of just a complete lifestyle change. I think that's the mm-hmm. main driver yep. of just really wanting, um, yeah, a massive lifestyle change not in the city anymore. So mm-hmm. I think uh, a little bit of short-term pain for really long-term gain is my motto. I think it's motto. good to have a... Yeah, I think it's good to have a big sort of macro goal going on because that then helps keep your running in perspective. And, you know, my my big goal for 2020 is really getting as far through this Master of Education degree or course that as, as I possibly can. Um, so if I can get my seven subjects uh, done, done in 2020, I'll be three quarters of the way through that mm-hmm. qualification and with only a research project to do in with only, yeah, it'll, I'm sure it won't be easy, but um, yeah, 2021 should be a far more relaxed study year because I'll, yeah, I just have to do a uh, do a, a research project and 
some sort of minor thesis, I would imagine, and um, yeah, then uh, that'll all be sort of tidied up. So having that big goal definitely is going to keep my running aspirations in check for a little bit, but that's good. I just have to accept that and uh, work around it as I have been doing. Yeah, well, then you can become Masters Champion Athlete of the of the world and I'll um, focus on becoming sub-elite. <laughs> <laughs> sub-elite, semi-elite? Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> oh, dear. But I've got a good topic that I want to talk about actually this week. All right, topic of the week, yeah. so hit me with it. Well, given that we are at not only the end of the year but also at the end of a decade and then the beginning of a new decade, I've been thinking in my head, and we've actually been sort of having a few of these discussions um, on the Athletics New South Wales board, and that is what is the future of athletics? Mm, that's a and big question. It's a big question and... We, we we had sort of a full day on um, having a think and have a talk about it and we still didn't even come to you know, the answer of what that is and I've even been writing my notes and I posed the question to you and I thought, well, let's have a chat about it because there are so many different ways in which I guess that question itself can go. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts and I've certainly got a few of my own. <laughs> Uh, I do have some some random thoughts about um, the future of athletics. I'm not sure how qualified oh. I am to make them, but hey, why not? You've you've brought up this topic, so I'll uh, happily bring some of those to bear after this. So, Lisa, I hope you're not going to get in trouble for um, breaching the confidence of the Athletics New South Wales <laughs> board. <laughs> that, no, it's, it's no, not no. secret squirrel stuff. You, you haven't no. had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely not secret squirrel in what um, Athletics New South Wales is looking at. The this discussion is purely my own thoughts, and then even just some thoughts of some bits and pieces that I've seen online, and just some real good conversation started. So, where do you want to start, Brian? Uh, well, how about I pose a confounding question to you? Mm. <laughs> like, what is the point of elite athletics? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> that's a good question to start with because when I started to write my notes, I have got this really clear delineation on my piece of paper and one side says elite and the yep. other says recreation. Yep. And this is something that I myself sit there and think, how do we, because it feels very separate yep. um, in the world of athletics. And I, I think I just want to qualify what I mean by athletics too. And for me, it's everything that encompasses, you know, running, whether it's track, road, you know, trail, you've got your technical type of events, your walks, you've got your throws, your jumps. So under that umbrella, so it's everything for athletics. And I think that's to start with, one of the fundamental challenges for athletics because it is so broad. I mean, there are so it, many it interests. A, it's a broad church. And it is, and there are so many opinions that go into that, and then you come to that elite point. Well, who's, you know, is it elite of um, of the track? Because, you know, you, you when it comes to an Olympic year, which 2020 is, you hear a lot about, oh, you know, athletes don't get funding and they're going to the Olympics and they don't have a sponsor and there's huge debates and discussion around that. 
But then you have the road events, which have hundreds and thousands of competitors and big sponsors and the money gets thrown around them. But then you've got this world of trail, which seems to be growing bigger and bigger. And there's some huge personalities um, at the elite level. Mm. And then you've got all the technical elements as well, which, you know, I, I will confess to say I don't really know a lot about. And then you put into the mix, well, where does elite sit in that? Back to your Mm. question. And I actually don't know the answer to that because if I think of, I'll just pick another sport, whether it's basketball or tennis, for example, there is just one sport. So it is really easy to have this elite cream of the top, you know, top cream Mm -hmm. of the, I don't even know what that saying is now. Um, (laughs) The the cream rises to the top. (laughs) (laughs) I think is the one you're looking for. We'll go with that one. And, you know, you've got these superstars, you can brand around them, you can do all these great things, and then it sort of feeds down into the grassroots. But I don't know how you pitch that with athletics because mm. it is so, you know, an elite steeplechaser, for example, is totally different to an elite javelin thrower. Yeah. Different audiences, different events. How do you combine that all into one and how do you make, that elite sort of, you know, pinnacle relevant to the yes. masses. And I think and yeah, that's, that's it's yeah. hard. It is hard. And look, it's a bit of a like tongue-in-cheek loaded question, but part of the reason why I sort of ask that is because, you know, really in terms of like high-performance athletics and, you know, let's, let's talk track and field rather than cross-country because it's on a different cycle, but people only really care about it during the Olympics, truth yeah. be told, and they yep. care about it a little bit on World Championship years and mm. probably a little bit less again for something like the Commonwealth Games. But other than that, it doesn't sort of garner much attention in mainstream society. So the people who are kind of into athletics like us will be tuning in and be interested. But I must admit, even as someone who is a is a fan and has been interested, that my interest levels in it have eroded significantly due to, you know, a number of factors and the, the ongoing saga with performance-enhancing drugs and mm-hmm. various other misdemeanours uh, with coaching groups and then you've got the whole shoe debacle. So, yep. <laughs> you know, if, if it's all about if the point of elite, elite athletics is to try and identify the people who are the best and the high performers and they win medals and that kind of thing, like, I can kind of get that as a as a point of it, but now that it's everything seems just a little bit tainted. That for me, that doesn't seem like the point of it anymore. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe a rethink about you know athletics itself is quite performative, and uh, there's a there's an entertainment aspect of it, and there's the fact that you can kind of admire the athleticism of these kind of almost superhumans, let's call them, and maybe you can admire the way that they run or the way that they throw, um, the way that they jump and just kind of accept that as a performance rather than thinking about it as some kind of um, test or even some sort of even fair playing field about who is the best. Like, Because I think you kind of have mm. to almost forget that now in the current environment and just admire it yep. as a... Uh, as a spectacle. It's, you know, you and I have not at all spoken about this until now. And my notes say, elites, are there too many sports? Question mark. Is traditional athletics dead? Question mark. Drugs. <laughs> Let's not even go there. <laughs> Olympics, there's a place for it, but it needs reform. So it seems like we're on a very similar 
wavelength um, on that. And, you know, look, I would still love there to be a place for um, for the elite. And one of the point notes that I did write down here um, is, you know, you, you grow up and you and I did athletics when we were younger and we did other sports and that that thought of you know if you're good enough to represent your country at the highest level you know in whatever sport it is and in athletics it's the olympics so we still need to foster that because if we're not fostering that at the grassroots well then athletics actually is dead as far as a track and field element goes but then there are the other challenges and we've seen it is happen it, a couple is it of dead times though? like like is it dead because you know the like the heart and soul of all of most of the athletic clubs are generally people who are not like the super elite like they might be more like from people like me who are back of the mid packers um and then a bit better probably for the most part and there's a fair amount Look, of sort of dying. community and participation around yeah. that or or I don't know you've probably got the numbers but it sounds like well, it sounds like that part of it's dying off <laughs> And it is. So from a numbers perspective, um, and this is something, I guess, you know, with my involvement on the board, which has been a really interesting thing, is from that club traditional sense, it's dying. And for me personally, that's quite a sad thing to see because I grew up in that traditional environment and in so many ways they were my family. It was a really happy, safe, encouraging environment for me to go to every Saturday um, and training during the week and so on and so forth. And even the club that I'm here in in Sydney fosters very much that same type of environment. But the club here in Sydney is all middle to long distance. Um, mm. So from that traditional athletic sense, I don't think a single person in the club that I'm in now has picked up a shot put or done a long jump. So... You know, that broader club sense definitely isn't there. But what isn't dead is the school systems. The schools for traditional track and field, and, and I'm talking about in Australia, but I, this could replicate very much in the US and I imagine the UK. Uh, I don't know a lot about many of the other countries, but it is just getting stronger and stronger. Um, you know, the numbers within the school systems, the all schools, and, and I guess because it's a compulsory sport that everybody does mm. within the school systems but what's not happening is that transition from school into mm. external and and I'll probably focus more on the male side of it here if you're a young male who is excellent um at athletics whether it's the the jumps or the the, yep. the sprints or what have you and you have a football club come knocking on your door and mm. saying well we'll train you up and We'll mm. offer you sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars to come on our rookie list. I know what I'd be doing. Yeah, I know. Well, I think it's more than that, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, and look, it probably is. So you've got you're competing against these sports that have turned into true professional entities, and this mm. is probably one of my biggest drivers. And I'll probably bang on about it a bit too much and give everyone else, um, everyone else gets a bit annoyed. But for me, elite athletics is going to survive if we turn into a professional sporting organisation. The mm. mindsets need to change. Yes, whilst it's great to pretend we're all back in the 70s or 80s and 90s where it's all not-for-profit and it's all volunteer, mm. we are in a new decade. Um, people are time poor. <laughs> People are financially poor, mm. and so we need to be able to offer, you know, incentives and basically create a, a sustainable business. Mm. And, and that's a th that's what that's where I think it needs to go. 
and it's a challenge. Like, and, and uh, that distinction between elite and professional is maybe worth teasing out a little bit because mm. if you think about Australian rules football, you've got what is it, 20 teams now? Oh, and yeah, there's the, a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I've kind of lost track of that as well, but 20 teams with 40 to 50 players on their list mm. um, each. Yep. And so you can't sort of make an argument that with that amount of players, like hundreds of players, that they are all elite athletes, but no, they are but... definitely all <laughs> professional athletes yep. um, because they're getting paid to to do that sport and that's the challenge for athletics is um mm. you know like that you can go and make a very good living playing afl being like the 400th best yep. afl footballer in the country mm-hmm. um but if you're at the 400th best um, 1500 meter runner in the country or or something equivalent then you know you're not anywhere near it and you you're could argue finding, you're the best you're not yeah. even you probably earn less than the lowest paid rookie player on an afl uh, list you, yeah, you probably don't earn anything. Yeah. Um, truth be told. So, like, how do you how do you deal with you know only say for example, you know, someone like Kathy Freeman who won Olympic gold and silver mm-hmm. medals, like probably able to make a very good living out of athletics, but unless you're an Olympic medalist in a relatively high profile sport, um, like where does that sort of professionalism kick in? Who's who's going to pay? Is it is it private companies? Is it the mm-hmm. government stumping up money? I bet you've been talking about some of those things. <laughs> oh, 100% we have. And I think back to your earlier point around, you know, to be the best in the world, the reality is you need to do things that are not on the straight and narrow. I would mm-hmm. happily argue with anybody that there'd be very few people at the top that are not crossing some sort of boundary in order at least in the grey oh yeah or at least in the grey and look i've got a i guess an empathetic side of me on this especially when you're talking about people from maybe underdeveloped countries or people that are not as fortunate as as you and i that if you know to maybe move into the grey to save you and your family and your village's life it's a tough call so when you're from, I guess, you know, an environment which is a lot more privileged and, you know, being able to just walk into a job and earn some decent money versus, you know, busting your butt, um, not knowing if you're ever going to get a payday. It's it's a challenge which then brings back to how do you then encourage people to move into that elite or professional or is the answer to what is the future of athletics, it's not that elite side. It's that recreational side because if you have a look at what's going on in that rec running space, and excuse me for just focusing on the running side of it here, but it yeah. is not only booming, it is going through the roof. Yes, I agree. And you know, everyone knows how well Park Run's been doing both in Australia and around the world. Mm-hmm. Like that is absolutely reaching people that traditional athletics. Um, probably don't even want to reach um but you know got this huge groundswell of community-based regular running events that have got this beautiful social element to them um it's not performance focused and you know i I think that's really filling a niche that people were looking for and maybe that's sort of getting back to that you know that 
that sort of human trait of wanting to gather and um, getting back to to moving and running and that kind of thing. So maybe there's a bit of a bit of a primal thing going on there. Well, I'll share some stats with you on Parkrun. They sent around an email a couple of days ago, just giving sort of the 2019 Park Year Year in Review. So next year they're going to launch their 22nd country to join, which is the Netherlands. That's incredible. Mm. And then the average finish time at Parkrun. There should be some fast times there given it's pretty flat. Yeah, well, I think they've got some pretty handy runners as well. But <laughs> speaking do. of times, I thought this was quite interesting. So the average finish time for Parkrun uh, was 32.31 for a 5K. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we go to that where's the future, is it in elite or recreational, this says to me that it's heading towards recreational and there was a couple of other things that Parkrun have been doing which – again, given my sort of interest in the tech space, is they're getting some new technologies around to help with the volunteers, um, some sort of virtual volunteering um, elements. And I'm not entirely sure what they've done there, but I do want to go and have a look at that. I might even um, mm-hmm. email them and ask them um, out of interest from um, the, the board side. And then, you know, new scanning technologies just to be able to make the event easier, um, have less reliance on so many people, making it a bit more sort of tech-friendly so that it enables growth. And, you know, this is, I think this is backed by a couple of big companies, Parkrun. They do. They've got they've got some pretty large corporate sponsors that help mm. keep the machinery turning over um, and they have full-time staff in each of the countries that they're located in who administer the Parkrun movement more, more broadly within a country. So they have the capacity to do it. I would say, yeah, they do do it professionally. Even though, even though it's largely a volunteer-led organisation, it does have a professional approach. I would say 100% it's a professional approach. And, you know, it's really hit that niche of it's evolved. And if we talk about, you know, athletics in, in a way still trying to keep the model of maybe the 80s and 90s, you know, parkrun, it's free. But I think the, the main thing is it's just so accessible and it's so easy. And if we look at the lifestyles that so much of us lead, that's what, we, what we're really craving, aren't we? Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. as much as I'd love to have all the time in the world to you know, just here in Sydney to try and get to an athletics competition, it's often an hour, hour and a half drive if you have to, to get to the athletics track and you're sort of there for half the day and... Yeah. And I'm someone that's heavily involved and, and loves the sport. And even me, I'm sort of like, oh, just such an effort. <laughs> yes. And yeah, park run being over by, you know, nine o'clock basically on a Saturday morning makes it pretty easy to do something yeah, well, else with the it. rest of your weekend. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that for me, that's somehow the way that athletics needs to move. Um, I, I do like what. Athletics Victoria has done for some time now with their high performance meets for specific, I guess, the specific sports. So you've got your throws meets, mm-hmm. they've got a jumps meet, and then they you've do. got your, your milers clubs meets. Yep. And they just seem to be growing from strength to strength as well. And not just at that elite level, but right down into the, I don't know, I guess a recreational type of level. And again, I think... The other thing Athletics Victoria have done well is there's a number of community-based athletics clubs that are now registered and supported with by Athletics Victoria. So I know yeah. they've put a lot of effort into building up those clubs and supporting them and yep. and 
um, educating coaches to be club coaches in those um, clubs, and they've had a lot of success with that. I've heard Tim Crosby talking about that a little bit on the AV podcast, and some of those um, recreational clubs have got huge numbers of members, and it's sort yeah. of tapping into the similar kind of uh, similar kind of market to Parkrun, really. So you know, it does go to that. The community aspect and the the, sub, the not elite aspect seems to be the area where all of the growth and the action is. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's on my list as well around the future of athletics with these social training groups. See three really prominent groups, <clears throat> excuse me, out here training in Centennial Park where where I am, and their growth is enormous. They sometimes each of the groups will have 100 people at a training mm-hmm. session. And, you know, they've certainly got the pointy end, um, there's no doubt about it, but then, you know, there's definitely the just the recreational runners that are coming along too. So I guess how do we get that to a point where, you know, is the future of athletics just a a social and a recreational thing? Then people can go along to their park runs or they sign up for their once or twice a year, you know, half marathon or big city marathon. And is there still a, a space for the traditional track and field? Do we keep them separate? Or is there a way to link them? Mm, exactly. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of random thoughts. Can I throw in on the, I suppose you'd say it's on the elite side, but maybe there's an opportunity to have some of that linkage between the elite and the not so elite as yeah. part of these, these three things. But um, oh, one that I wanted to, thought. yeah, well, they're probably not that random, but um yeah, one one that I just mentioned briefly is uh, the Steigen Spectacular. So that's a different format of athletics meet um, that was held very recently. Hmm. And if you want to find out a bit more of that, if you haven't already, have a listen to the Inside Running podcast. They've sort of covered what the event was and, and how it went down. But that had like a team-based element, different level, like, you know, probably still mostly kind of a, a sub an elite to sub-elite, semi-elite kind of participation, but they did have, um, yeah, varying levels of abilities within teams and they had corporate sponsors for each of the teams. Yep. Very different format in terms of the kinds of events. So you've got mixed distance um, relays and, you know, doing multiple multiple events with the same athlete in short spaces of time. So really kind of mixing up the traditional format, but bringing in a kind of a corporate element as well. So that's, I think that's a, that's a a model that definitely seems to be working and could be looked at and expanded in the future. That's definitely one. Mm. The other one that I wanted to mention Actually, I'll, I'll mention another one quickly and then I'll, I'll come to the, probably the elephant in the room, which I'm sure is on your list as well. The other one in, in the elite side of things is like the Japanese corporate team model. So yeah. that's obviously something that is very, it's very professional. Mm. There's corporate sponsorship. You've got teams of large-ish numbers of athletes. Again, it's a pretty elite focus, but, you know, Japan's pretty running mad and uh, those events get a lot of coverage mm. on broadcast TV and on the internet um, as well. So that's definitely something that perhaps the Steigen model is almost a step in that direction. Yeah, um, well, look, I like that actually. Um, and let's be honest, you know, there are lots of big corporates out there that I'm sure would love to be involved in an mm. athletics type of event. But I guess we just need to we just need to change that mindset. This is what I feel. I'm talking from Australian point of view. I can't speak and Japan seems to do it very well. From that real community, we need grants and we're always going to rely on the government to, well, let's become a professional entity. Yeah. 
and the the challenge is then you know what is the value proposition for sponsors and i think mm. you know something like parkrun it's it's pretty it's very clear like you've got a huge number of mm. athletes that are going to get an email from parkrun every week with mention of the various sponsors yeah so it's trying to link the masses to those more performance based um, kind of models so yeah well look, if you get a big fan base for you know the corporate team kind of thing going on well then mm. then you've got the potential to make that more attractive i think to, to corporate sponsors well i think also you know if you're looking again or we'll focus on the running side of it if you were to have a team-based thing we'll have a look at the um the road runs there mm. are thousands of people that are there if they actually televised them and it still blows my mind how you can't get great television coverage. I actually thought the Breaking 2 was quite good. Did you watch that in the end? I did watch some of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but just, you know, from the, the technology that they had, and this is a big push that I would like to see in the future of athletics. Um, I sent you a tweet that was actually a fencing tweet and how they're bringing in technology into fencing. And I know nothing about yeah. fencing. I've never been interested in fencing. And I sat there and I watched this video and um, for any, anyone that hadn't seen it, it was two fences and I don't know exactly how they did it. Maybe it was lasers or some sort of technology that each of the fences had a different colour light. And so you actually saw like the movement and the, the lights and the patterns that the fences made with their little sword it was actually was actually quite beautiful it was quite Mm. poetic and i sat there and watched it and i watched the whole video which is something that i wouldn't normally do but it's just bringing another element it brings a different you know a a person with a different interest into a sport that they never normally would have actually um been interested in the first place so definitely need to focus a lot on that as well that's true and look in in running that would i think having the athletes wired up so you can see what is happening physiologically to them as they perform, I think would be really interesting. And that's something that I've heard um, uh, some of the, the cycling pundits talking about. It's like, you know, what, what are their heart rates when they're climbing up these really steep climbs at the end of Tour de France stages, that kind of thing. Like, you know, for me to be like, well, what was what was Kipchoge's heart rate at yeah. various stages during yeah during the um the breaking two and what was his cadence and you know there's probably various other things like- well let's be honest that's what motorsports does doesn't it mm, like, exactly look at so the money that, kind of stuff. <laughs> that goes into formula one and the technology and you have a lot of people who are interested in formula one because they love the cars and mm. the technology and I actually was at work recently and we were shown a video and it was actually talking about teamwork and it showed one of the pit stops in the Formula One and I think it was something ridiculous that like five seconds to change however many, you know, tyres and fuel and but it was like poetry in motion. And so, yeah, look, there, there's so many things I'm sure if, if we actually sat down and thought about it, but, again, you need the financial backing to be able to put um, into that technological side of it. But before you get to your elephant in the room, so still on technology, again, something that we were looking at and was actually shown was around gaming. And I don't know how controversial this is, but um, we're talking about sports and getting people active. Sorry, just to clarify, when you say gaming, you're not talking about gambling, you're talking about computer games. Yeah, 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 sorry. Um, I am talking about um, computer games. And I was shown some statistics and then some just the finances at the back of it as well around, I think it was um, basketball 
and just the amount of like millions and millions of people tuning in to watch just a couple of people play some final of you know some internet gaming thing that they were doing and it was phenomenal but it was a bit of a food for thought moment going well is that something that we could move into athletics like mm. how do you then get let's be honest the next generation are all so technology focused how do you tap into an area totally different area but it's still you know with athletics on that online gaming side of it i have no idea what the answer to that is but i thought it was it's moving with the modern times you've got an enormous audience every person has a phone or a computer and it's global yeah well i think it's cycling that that swift product has had and similar products have had a lot of success in um, sort of linking that kind of like virtual reality experience where you can go and compete in the comfort of your own home on your little turbo trainer against other athletes and see what it's like to ride um, some of the famous stages Um, and I'm pretty sure they've either have or about to come out with a running sort of related product as well so it'd be a similar thing you can get on the treadmill and be running like the London Marathon or the New York Marathon and um, see how your pace compares to other people um, either those around you or to the elite people. So there's definitely mm. that kind of stuff that's, that's probably coming. already here but, or, or about to arrive that um, might have some kind of useful element to it. Well, I think um, so that's great, but I, I'm probably thinking more of the sedentary person who mm. may not be so inclined to get on their <laughs> treadmill. <laughs> Probably right. sit in their computer chair and play some sort of, I know, Olympics or something against yeah. you, know, someone that's sitting across the other side of the world. Um, you know, we're in Australia, so we could enter our little Australian person yeah. and be battling it out. I haven't, you know, I don't have the answers to it, but I just mm. thought it was another area in an industry that is exploding. And my thoughts behind it are is that if you could somehow get a technology area or a gaming piece. If you're wanting a way to turn it into a business, then you potentially could have that funded or that could be your source of income that then has money available to elites to support them in Olympic years or the years before. So it's, you know, it may not be your traditional book we're going down to athletics on a Saturday afternoon, but it's generating income to enable us to still run the niche products that Mm. makes up athletics. Yes, yes, that's true. Can I mention my elephant? Yeah, yeah, bring in the elephant. I'm ready for it. (laughs) So the IAAF. Mm, You (laughs) mean what athletics? (laughs) Yeah, the the governing body. Yeah, uh, look, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find people in athletics who think the IAAF is doing a great job and, you know, particularly around issues to do with with doping um, and other related events, like probably haven't covered themselves in glory. (laughs) Shoes? No. Yeah, shoes and various other things. Um, But sort of even to the extent of, you know, some of their recent decision-making about stripping events out of the Diamond League, which is sort of Mm. like the premium athletics product, like you've kind of got to wonder what some of the thought processes are, which to me opens up like the opportunity of what happened in cricket in the 1970s. So we had like this breakaway World Series cricket competition, which was set up by Kerry Packer, who was a, an Australian billionaire. And he basically said, well, don't like, don't like what the traditional um, cricketing governing bodies are doing and how they're running the game. So I'll basically put my oh, money into setting up an entire separate professional competition. And, you know, that's where we saw 
things like one day cricket, people wearing funny coloured clothes playing cricket and yep. all sorts of other innovations going on, um, which, you know, I could, I could sort of see something like that happening in athletics if you had mm-hmm. someone with enough money and, you know, maybe maybe people like those, those Ineos crowd or either corporates or very high wealth individuals in the billionaire kind of status if they decided to, to create their own athletics federation. I think they'd find that they'd get a lot of um, athletes wanting to sign up and that would then allow them to be, you know, super strident with things like um, drug testing, perhaps be able to bring back that element of fair competition, which would probably interest someone like me to sort of get back a bit more involved in it. Mm. Um, if I if I knew that there were like pretty pretty serious hurdles that you had to get over in order to, to be able to be on the start line. Whereas at the moment, like you'd have to question about whether it's all that difficult to um, evade detection from a doping sense. Like if you, if you know what you're doing and you've got a good setup, you can, you can get around that. But if the, uh, if the hurdles were a bit harder to jump over, maybe, maybe we could see a sort of a, a different kind of athletics emerging in the future you know maybe something like the Milers club on steroids um not on steroids no gosh you are um, going on about drugs and i'll throw it right into the mix um <laughs> but uh or even so in the uk the the night of the 10k which yeah. i haven't been a part of but we've got quite a few british expats here in the running club and they speak so highly of the event uh but you're right you know maybe setting up a, a few of those but backed by a corporate sponsor and it, it sort of encompasses the elite and the sort of sub-elite with a, a series of races and it's a series. Like one of my biggest frustrations, I think, with the Olympics and, you know, we saw it in, in Rio in one of the women's distance races is someone turns up, you haven't seen them for years or at all, they go and run a world record, they jog a world record and they disappear. <laughs> And, you know, from someone like myself, as you're saying, who is so passionate about athletics, for me, I feel disappointed because in a way it's an insult to myself, not that I could ever Mm. run 30 minutes for 10K, but it makes me sit there going, well, I'm busting my butt here to break 40 minutes and at the end of a race I'm, you know, on hands and knees. How come this person can jog 30 minutes and there's not a bead of sweat on them. Like it, it actually feels a massive insult. Yeah. And then you don't see them again. And so then the next race you watch, you go, oh, it's suddenly that inspirational element yeah. is cast with, oh, well, none of this is real. Which and is, to me, that's a major turn off. It's a major well, it, turn off. It's a major turn off, exactly. So, um, not that I'm defending the IAAF or world athletics at all. There's been a lot of criticism around the sort of points and ranking system. I think it's in its infancy. I do see some merit around. I, I did read an article. I think um, Seb Coe was was quoted in it saying, you know, he was hoping to create something similar like the tennis, so that you know y- you would try and alleviate these instances where someone just turns up out of the blue, runs, wins everything, and then disappears into the abyss. That you're forced to actually constantly be competing. You're always on the circuit, um, and so then you can create a brand for the individuals and I guess you know you're trying to alleviate the drug element as well by always having to be present in competitions so I definitely see some merit in it it's I don't know how you make it a fair system but I, I would like to see that where people aren't hiding that they are coming out and racing a lot more so that you know how are you meant to know 
a lot of the elites when mm. they turn up to one Olympics and then disappear for four years. Yeah. You know, having Agreed. listened and, and reading a lot of the books of, you know, in the Peter Snell era and even a little bit later, their racing schedule was brutal. Mm. <laughs> and I think it was... Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, one of the Inside Running podcasts where they interviewed, I think he was a new, Rod Dixon, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was often saying, well, you just raced even when you weren't fit because that's just what you did. I think we need to see a lot of that again to really instill the trust back in that elite side of it, the enthusiasm, and also actually knowing who everybody is. I mean, you and I are quite close connected to the sport and on a start line I could, probably could name two people. Yes. Well, if you've got more things on your list, <laughs> I, I don't feel know like if we really, possibly really, raise um, more questions than answered. But, I think um, so. So, what is the future of athletics? Um, look, uh, this will be my summary. I think that at the elite side, there is definitely a place for it in the Olympics. I think we need to do a better job of raising the profile of the elite so that we understand really who they are. But I honestly believe the future in athletics is on that recreational side. Um, I like the points you raised around that corporate element and I think there's a really big push for technology um, if athletics really wants to see it become one of the chosen sports um, into sort of the next decade. Yep. Yeah, don't disagree with any of that. I think my, my, my left field prediction will be that some kind of breakaway World Series athletics will emerge um, at some point in the next decade and uh, maybe the IAAF will be uh, kind of go on the back burner and uh, we might we might see a, a more interesting corporate style of um, athletics in the future. Maybe funded by Brian and Brian Martin Company, maybe. I <laughs> <laughs> don't think so. <laughs> don't think I'm on that career path at the moment in the, uh, the higher education game, Lisa. No, That's... I don't think you are either. But, um, oh, look. Uh, look to go uh, back to banking. <laughs> Yeah, but you might have to go back to banking. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, if anyone, any of the listeners have any points or questions or anything that they want to raise, I actually really enjoy throwing around this topic of conversation because someone who's so passionate about athletics, you know, I really do want to see it, it thrive and, and succeed. Um, there's always going to be problems. There's oh, problems in life, but it'd be really nice to have some constructive conversations and really see the sport of athletics prosper. Very good. Well, I think we need to – we weren't really going to do recaps of our last four weeks because it's been so long, which would uh, just take far too long to get through. But I suppose just in terms of what I've been up to, as I mentioned, there's been a few up and down weeks, but in the last week or so have managed to get some vaguely sensible training back together. And only this morning, Lisa, I've sent you a message. I managed to get through 10 by 3 minutes, mm, two-minute jogs in between. So that was, that was a pretty big – Pretty big, chunky session, not super fast, but probably between 4.20s and 4.16 kind of pace, which is encouraging with this event that we've got coming up in Hobart in probably about 12 days or so. And that's 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 our next race, so the, the Hobart Half Marathon. I don't know if I'm going to be able to crack that 90 minutes because of the interruptions to training during December, but um, it's going to be interesting trying to nut out with you and uh, JT just how we're going to approach 
that race. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to it. And I guess the summary is I've got off my butt and actually have started to train for this marathon. <laughs> I back-ended my training sort of two weeks ago. I did 60Ks in three days. <laughs> and then last week did nearly 70Ks. And then here we are in this week. But feeling pretty good. I'm actually starting to look forward to this run in Hobart. And uh, I've had to sub you out, Brian, and um, bring in my husband, JT, to actually help with some pacing duties. <laughs> You needed you needed a backup plan in case I couldn't hack the pace in the latter stages. <laughs> well, maybe in the early stages, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> How fast are you intending on starting? <laughs> but no, to be good, I haven't had a had a hit out since my disastrous uh, Melbourne half marathon. But I'm feeling well rested, and I'm actually just really looking forward to seeing where I'm at. I think that's the biggest goal for me. And uh, yeah, then onwards and upwards to Tokyo Marathon. Very good, and I will. Um, edit up i think we've probably got about three or four weeks of coaching conversations that we've recorded so i'll make a, a bit of a best of of those and tack that on the back of this episode which will give a bit of a flavor probably there's probably a little bit of what i've been doing in that um, mm. in terms of training but mostly about what you've been doing over the last month as well lisa so if you're keen to um, delve into the details of what training you have been doing and us pontificating about what we should do on any given week given <laughs> what's been happening with your life and mine feel free to have a listen to those but um, if you don't want to go into that level of detail then feel free to skip ahead well good well have we almost reached i think we're end? done we've almost for 2019 done. we've reached the end of the episode we've reached the end of 2019 mm-hmm. um the, all that remains to do is to um turn up in 2020 and and see what we can do mm, very good you have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. We'll see you in 2020.